Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Well, it's been a while. Great to be back here on CCO Radio on a Saturday night, along with my friend Jonathan Lowe. I mean, I feel like it's been weeks and weeks and weeks. Uh, this, uh, I, I, I see your face, and <laughs> there's some familiarity to it somewhere. I just, I just don't know. But I give still me, give me a hint about your name. I just, I just, no. Welcome anyway. back. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's just, um, it's been one of those situations where um, obviously the T Wolves have, you know been playing their games, and then also uh, Dave Lee and co. did a fabulous job broadcasting the high school basketball tournaments. Now, now that was TV. You got to, you got for radio. You got credit Steve Nel or Steve Thompson. That's true. That's and true. Eric Nelson. That's I, true. I do that where I, where I combine the two. Steve yeah. Nelson. No, that's not right. Steve Thompson, <laughs> Eric Nelson. They did the girls basketball, and then Steve did the boys three A basketball right. solo. But yeah, basically, except for the I think that just the girls basketball weekend and the All Star weekend since the turn of the calendar. Every Saturday under the sun has been a Timberwolves basketball game. Right, right. So anyway, so it's great to be back. Uh, it, it really is. It's great to see you. It's great to kind of back, come back here. Although I filled in a few times for Mr. Hines uh, on the weekday, but it's just it's just kind of nice to be back and and kind of cool. And it just it does seem a little odd though because it's been so long. It's a different vibe when you're here in the daytime when you're here working in a nine to noon shift. And we are our own vibe. That's correct. <laughs> That yeah, is correct. And, you know, there, there's really, you know, there's so much going on and it, it, in the world today. And, you know, we have a great show lined up for you. At 8 o'clock, we'll visit with David Schultz, who's kind enough actually to join us from, I believe he's in Chicago, uh, attending a State Department seminar. He has uh, been really all over the world and is planning. He's going to China. He's been in Lithuania. Uh, but his perspective is is just so great. So I can't wait to talk to him because just a little bit going on with the situation in Syria. Um, later on this half hour, we are going to visit with uh, a prominent University of Minnesota researcher about diabetes too. And I, I just think that this whole topic is so interesting. Uh, we actually had a tiny snippet on it, on this on our Sunday news last Sunday morning on TV, and I was like, whoa, I want to know more about that. So uh, we're going to visit with Dr. Elizabeth Sequist. Uh, it's a study where they are actually enrolling people. Uh, people have lost a great deal of weight. Uh, it's They're adjusting medications. It's been very successful, but they are looking for new participants. Uh, we also are going to talk with uh, a mother who really, uh, she did an am- amazing story with my colleague Jennifer, Jennifer Merrily, who did a wonderful job telling this story. Uh, about her child needs medical marijuana uh, to try and contain his autism and Tourette sy- sy- uh, syndrome. It's been very successful. 
The problem is he needs it every two hours, so he can't take it at school. Uh, Senator Scott Dibble is also going to join us uh, to talk about that, uh, an amendment there. We're going to talk about women and addiction. Uh, We're going to talk about the Minneapolis-St. Paul Film Festival. It's going to be an awesome show. So it is great to be back. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll visit with Dr. Elizabeth Sequist, who is a researcher and doing some pioneer work in the field of type. It is 616 in the Twin Cities. Esme Murphy on a Saturday night. Great to be back with you. Uh, last weekend, we read, uh, or I was anchoring the uh, Sunday morning news on WCCO-TV, and there was a little snippet about a, a diabetes research program through the University of Minnesota. They are seeking new applicants uh, to be part of this study, and the study apparently has had just extraordinary success, and, and it's a focus on diabetes, too. Joining us now is the lead researcher, Dr. Elizabeth Sequist. She's an endocrinologist and director director of the Division of Diabetes at the University of Minnesota. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really grateful. Well, listen, and I know this is a long-term study. Let's start at the beginning because I think there's a lot of confusion. I think for people who have diabetes, there may may be less so, but for for many in the public, what's the difference between diabetes 1 and diabetes 2? Diabetes, type 2 diabetes, is the most common form of diabetes. About 90% of the people who have diabetes have this form of the disease. It usually begins in adults, and it's a disease that we think of as being progressive. When people first present with their illness, they can be managed with diet and exercise. Sometimes medicines need to be added. And as they go on in years with the disease, more and more medicines need to be added, and eventually many will be on insulin. Type 1 diabetes uh, occurs in about 10% of the population, and it often appears uh, it's first noticed in childhood. These patients must take insulin in order to live. Um, It's a very different disease from type 2 diabetes where we have many other treatment options, but we don't really know how to use these options very well, which is the whole point of the study that we're involved in. Right. And and your work is in diabetes too, and, you know, they had me send over, some of your staff sent over some of the, the materials about the prevalence of diabetes too, and the numbers are just startling about what percentage of Americans get diabetes too? It's, it's, we're in an epidemic across our country and the entire world. 29 million Americans have diabetes right now, and we're expecting that more will have it as, year, as the years go on. And, and it's, so it's one in three adults, is that right? That's right, one in three adults. And, and is it because of a weight gain? I mean, is it a, a lifestyle situation or are some people more predisposed to it? I think of it as a disease that you are genetically predisposed to. And depending on your diet and your exercise and your general level of health, you may, if you're at risk because of your genes, get it when you're 50. Or if you lead a very healthy lifestyle, you may not get it until you're 80. Um, Certainly, gaining weight has something to do with it for some patients, but there are a great many people with type 2 diabetes who are not overweight and many more people who are overweight who do not have type 2 diabetes. You have to have the genetic predisposition. Got it. Okay. And you are still looking for people to join your study, right? Absolutely. We're looking for people with type 2 diabetes who have had it for less than 10 years, who take metformin as their only therapy. What we're asking, the question we're asking is, when people are on metformin and their sugars aren't well controlled, what is the best 
next medicine to use. We have many, many options out there that I use in clinic every day, but we don't know how to pick that medicine. Right now, we just base it on cost and side effects, not on what is best for that patient in their disease. All right. Is, is the prevalence of diabetes, too, is it more so in the U.S. than in other countries? No, it's, it's global. Um, about 90% in every country has type 2 diabetes. Um, it's a huge problem across the entire world. And in terms of um, the manifestation of it, are, are there people out there who have it who may not know it? Absolutely. We think about people having diabetes for a two to five years often before they actually present with symptoms, which typically are having a lot of urination, sometimes weight loss, sometimes blurred vision. Um, it's often uh, people don't know they have it for many years. And, and what are some of the symptoms? So if people become thirstier than usual, begin to pass more urine than usual, have some weight loss, sometimes uh, blurred vision, those are common symptoms of diabetes. All right. And, and, in, and so people, you know, that happens to people. And, and so sometimes they come in and they, they've had it for several years and they don't even realize it? That's right. That's right. Which is why getting people's blood sugars under control from the time of diagnosis is so important. Diabetes can cause many complications like blindness and kidney failure, but it's all related to how high the blood sugars are and for how long. If we use our therapies, our diet and exercise and medical therapies to get blood sugars under control, people's risk for these complications goes way down. So treatment's really important. All right. And is there, um, in terms of the healthy lifestyle, because I think, I think most people think, well, gee, if I'm slender, if I'm working out, if I'm leading that healthy lifestyle, if I'm not eating too much, I'm not going to get this. But you're saying that's not the case. You know, if you have a parent with type 2 diabetes, uh, you have a 30% chance of getting it yourself. That uh, We know that we can help people postpone the date at which they will get this if they're at risk by following a healthy lifestyle but it really is based in our genes. So people who are at risk, who have family members with type 2, really need to pay attention to their activity level and the foods that they eat. And is there some way of determining, and let me ask you this, are, are, is there a difference between men and women or different races? Because I, I know it, for some diseases, there's a prevalence, you know, it's, it's more prevalent in women, more prevalent in men, or it's more prevalent perhaps in African-Americans or more prevalent in Caucasians. Is there anything like that that can help Absolutely. sort of sort this out? Yes, we know that uh, uh, Native Americans, African-Americans, Hispanics all have a greater risk of developing type 2 diabetes compared to people of Northern European background. Uh, it's the same in men and women. Um, uh, we don't think there's a big difference there. And, and we don't know why that is, I assume. No, we really don't know why that is. Um, it, it, it's, it, again, genes, I think, are important. Um, uh, there may be certain things about people's lifestyle, but I think, again, it, it, that those populations have a lot more diabetes in their family, and I think that it's because they're genetically predisposed. And so what your study is doing is, is tweaking that second medication, as I understand it? That's right. We're, we're giving people the option of taking one of four medicines. We randomize them uh, to one of these four choices, things that I prescribe every day in clinic that we have used for years. But the interesting thing about this study, it's funded by the government. 
The government is interested in treating people with the most effective therapy, and they will support a study that will compare different medicines made by different people. That's something that's hard to do for the pharmaceutical companies and why we don't have these side-by-side comparisons of the medicines. Here we will know if, if insulin is a better treatment or is this pill a better treatment, which one keeps people at their sugars at the low level for the longest. It's a really important question. All right. And in terms of is can you ever be cured at all or does it just kind of go on indefinitely? I mean, or can you just manage it? Well, if people uh, lose a lot of weight at the time of diagnosis, as some of our patients who have enrolled in, in our study, in the GRADE study, have lost a lot of weight with our support. Um, your sugars can normalize and you can may not need as many medications as you did in the past. However, as all of us get older, our ability to um, control our blood sugars, it gets worse as we get older and it's likely it will appear later in life. So I don't think of people as cured. I think of them as being in remission. And in terms of um, the long-term prognosis, if somebody is on the right medications, is the prognosis good? It looks very good if we're able to keep the blood sugars well controlled. Uh, people's risk for the ICD nerve problems is greatly reduced. Uh, we have to watch their cholesterol and their blood pressure. There are still a number of risks with diabetes, which is why people need to be treated because heart disease is more common, we want to be certain people are treated appropriately. What is the sort of the biggest misconception, do you think, about diabetes that, that you encounter? I think so many people uh, find are concerned that, that, that they just have to change everything they do about their life if they get diabetes and that that gets in the way of effective treatment. And I think helping people learn how to make choices that they can live with over for a lifetime is really part of the challenge here. Um, People can uh, live a healthy life, and we can make changes slowly um, and small changes that can add up to big ones over time that will lead to a healthier outcome. All right. And in terms of uh, the actual sort of diet, I mean, how special is it, or is it just because you're talking about some people who, who aren't overweight who get it? Absolutely. So what we want, the number one uh, dietary goal is to eat a healthy diet that will help you achieve the weight goal that you have. So if you're already lean but have type 2 diabetes, well, you need to maintain your normal body weight, not gain weight as you age. If you're overweight, we hope people will lose some weight. Um, Sometimes even losing 10 pounds can have a huge impact on how well your sugars are controlled. Really? Um, now, in terms of how can people get in touch with you if they'd like to be part of this study? Well, we, they can send us an email at grade, G-R-A-D-E, at U-M-N dot E-D-U, or they can call us at 612-624-1469. Okay, why don't you give us that again? So it's 612-624-1469 or grade at U-M-N dot E-D-U. Correct. And then just say, hey, we'd like to be part of the study. Yep, and, and for we'll those people who, you know, I mean, to some people that might sound intimidating, what is, what is, what's involved in being part of a study? Well, the really great thing for patients who actually qualify and enroll is we give them free medicines for the duration of the study. 
So to do that, we have them come in and see us every uh, every three months in the clinic to see how they're doing with their blood sugars and their blood pressure and everything else. We give them the medicines that they need. Uh, we also do lab tests that their doctors would normally do in, the, in their own clinics, share that information with their doctors so they don't have to pay for those tests to be done. And I think the other really positive thing about a study like this is we make sure that people are followed closely, uh, so and we see them every three to four months, and that really makes a difference in terms of getting their sugars under control. In a regular clinical practice, life gets busy, people cancel their appointments, and they don't get in as often as they need to, uh, and that often doesn't lead to as, their sugars as being as well-controlled as they need to be. And how so, many people, because I know this study's been going on for a while, how many people have you had in this study? We have 126 at our site and over 3,500 nationally. Um, we hope to, uh, to, to enroll 150 at our site and closer to 5,000. Um, we need a lot wow. of people in order to make this really effective. And, and I assume that, that, you know, from the clinical perspective, having that large number adds to sort of the credibility of whatever your results are. Absolutely. What I'm hoping we will learn is that uh, that we'll find one medicine that really seems to be best for ev- most people. But if we have enough people enrolled, we can tease apart the, under the data and understand why did this person do better on this medicine than that medicine, and how can we use that information for uh, future patients. All right, and so anybody who wants to be part of the study uh, should email grade, G-R-A-D, at umn.edu or call 612-624-1469. That would be great. Okay, thank you so much. A pleasure of fascinating stuff. We appreciate your time, Dr. Sequest. Happy to do it. Thanks so much for having me on your show. All right, absolutely. So much important research is being done here in the University of Minnesota, here in Minnesota in general with the Mayo Clinic. I mean, it's just, it's really remarkable. But these clinical trials, I've never been part of one, but I have heard from others who have been. And I hear nothing but great things that this is something, you know, that you can really be sort of at the cutting edge. Uh, it's sort of exciting. You, you know, are taking care of your health problem for free and you're helping others because this is part of a, a major clinical research study. So interesting stuff. Well, listen, folks, uh, we do have to take a break. Uh, we've got some weather for you. And then when we come back, this is just a, a heart-wrenching story. Uh, my colleague Jennifer Merrily did such a good job with it. Uh, Joy Mitchell, a mother of child using medical marijuana, not allowed to use it uh, for school, Senator Scott Dibble of Minneapolis is stepping in saying, you know, that he is going to try and help with this situation. He was one of the people that actually got this bill through the legislature when a lot of people said it couldn't be done. So we're going to talk with them coming up in our next half hour. So keep it here. You're listening to News Radio 830 WCCO. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. It is 635 in the Twin Cities. Uh, you know, I have to say that I really work at, at two amazing places, WCCO Radio and, of course, WCCO Television. And I don't always stay up uh, and watch the 10 o'clock news, I think largely because on Sunday mornings I have to get up super early like I will tomorrow, to do the 6 a.m. show and the 10.30 a.m. show. But it's just hard when you have that one day a week where you get up early to stay up and watch 
the 10 o'clock news. And there's some really, really, really great stories that, that we do and, uh, on all newscasts at WCCO-TV. But uh, my colleague Jennifer Mayerly did a wonderful story. Um, I mean, it's actually a heartbreaking story, but I think it really shed some light on a critical situation. Uh, obviously, we all know that medical marijuana is the law right now, and it has worked. People are seeing the benefits of it. Well, she profiled um, a mom, Joy Mitchell, whose young son, uh, Josh, has autism and Tourette's, and medical marijuana is helping him, but he needs it every couple of hours. And guess what? They won't let him do it at school. And uh, in a few minutes, we're going to talk to Senator Scott Dibble, who was one of the key people in getting the medical marijuana bill passed. But first, we want to talk to Joy Mitchell uh, about this this really heartbreaking situation and and where she is with it at this moment. Joy, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Thanks, Esme, for the opportunity to share our experience with others who may be struggling as well. All right. Well, tell us about you and your family. For those that didn't see Jennifer's amazing story, and you can can look it up online at WCCO.com, but tell us about your story because it sounds like you, you have had this extraordinary benefit from medical marijuana. Mm-hmm, we have. Um, tell, us, tell us about Josh. Okay, my son Josh um, was diagnosed with Tourette's and autism. He's high-functioning, which means he looks and sometimes acts like your typical 16-year-old boy. However, uh, when he gets hurt, frustrated, sensory overloaded, or anxious, he can quickly get agitated and was even getting aggressive. Um, most episodes, he was hitting, biting, scratching, kicking. He screamed, I hate my life, F my life, just let me die. I was calling the and, police And, you know, frustration, times. I mean, I, you know, when you think about mm-hmm. it, and I have two teenagers in the middle mm-hmm. there, 15 and 17, it's not an easy age. And I, right. I think that it, under any circumstances, you've got people, kids saying, I hate my life or I hate this or whatever. It's got to be so difficult and so heartbreaking to have that added layer of pain and and difficulty because it is so hard. Yeah. And it wasn't just, I hate my life. It was, you know, the police would come and he would threaten to grab their guns and shoot himself. And um, he had to be handcuffed and taken by squad car to arrest at home. And, you know, even when the police came, it was, he didn't, you know, because he doesn't understand the social norms, he doesn't even understand to, you know, be respectful of the police officer when he's raging. It doesn't matter who's in the room. Right. And how much of a difference did the medical marijuana make? Well, when we started it, I noticed right away that the little things that used to irritate him wouldn't anymore. He could just brush them off. And then even when something major would happen, and in the past I had to cringe because I was like, oh, no, you know, it's going to be an episode. All of a sudden, he was able to just, you know, leave the room, maybe slam a door, go to his room, have some some kind of self-regulation over the behavior in the moment that he did not have before. And that, to me, was like, wow. And so it made that much a difference. So then he's obviously, because you said high-functioning, he's going to school, mm-hmm. he's a very smart kid, mm-hmm. and there's a problem. Yes. Um, he is going to school, public school. He's at a charter school. And because of federal funding issues and federally, it's against the law for him to have any form of marijuana on school property. He's not allowed to bring it with him. 
He's not allowed to have it in the nurse's office. They could not administer it. I could not even drive onto school property with it and go in and give it to him and, and then okay. leave. I would have to park down the street, walk onto property, bring Josh off the campus, give it to him, then have him go back to school and then leave. And this is every two hours? Yes. Okay. And without it, he has behaviors and he has tics and his Tourette comes back and he may be screaming the F word or, you know, flipping over a desk or things happen. So I called the Pacer Center and they said, I said, you know, can he get suspended for these behaviors if they're refusing to give him his meds? And they said, yes. And I thought, well, that just doesn't make any sense. What? Um, and, and so he goes to a charter school. Yes. If he went to a regular public school, I mean, I know they're public schools, but but just a... Same thing. Same thing. Okay. Yep. Obviously, if he went to a private school, that would be potentially different because they could make their own call. I would think so. Right. Okay. But even though it's legal here in Minnesota... Mm -hmm. Right. It's legal here. Right. It's legal in Minnesota, but not federally. Okay. And since the schools rely on the federal funding, they go by the federal rules, not state law. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, what what are where have you landed here? And I know Senator Dibble is trying to help you. He's one of the people that actually got this bill through in the first place. When a lot of people thought there was no way it was going to get through, what what's your next step, and what are you hoping for? Well, there are several other states that have passed what I would call common sense laws um, that have allowed schools to administer the medicine, um, keep it locked up in the nurse's office, and give it to kids who actually need it and are registered with the state for it um, without affecting any other students. And so I'm hopeful that Minnesota will, you know, have the... um, the sense to also create a law that would allow Josh and others, you know, especially kids with epilepsy, have the same problem. They can only go to school for a couple hours or they'll have seizures because they can't get their medicine. And so, you know, Josh only goes to school for a few hours and then has to come home. And the school emailed me even yesterday and said, "We he's doing great. We'd really like him to be able to stay all day. What do you think? And I'm like, no, right now he can't. Because, because of yes, that, he is doing great, and if I allow him to stay all day and he doesn't have his meds, I'm afraid we'll be just you know going backwards. And obviously, you have a life. <laughs> I mean, you have to work. You can't be there every two hours to to, to right. help him. Okay. And uh, do you have a? Because you know, one of the reasons I think this and at the end this this got passed is because there was a coalition of moms mm-hmm. who, when you listen to them just like yourself, were just saying, hey, I'm just here for my child. I'm just doing what any mother would do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it sounds like there's a group behind you that, that's also saying we, we need these common sense laws. Yes, I've had such an outpouring of moms on Facebook and email telling me, wow, good for you. I felt like I was the only one. I'm glad someone is finally saying we need this kind of a law here in Minnesota. Um. Excellent. Um, well, listen, we are going to, and is there, first of all, is there anything else you'd like us to know? Because we're going to take a break and then talk to Senator Scott Dibble. Is there anything else you'd like people to know? 
Because I don't. Um, well, you know, I know some people guess, are still skeptical of this thing. Uh, you know. Yeah, I guess I would like them to know I'm a pastor's daughter, and I was very <laughs> hesitant to try this because of the whole marijuana connotation. But you know, when it's when it's either divorce or somebody's life, you you try it, and you know it doesn't make him high. It's totally different than the plant, you know, the weed or smoking. It it helps him regulate. It's good for him. It's something that um, is beneficial for so many different um, medical conditions. And why throw the baby out with the bathwater? Take what's good and not the bad and separate the two. And, you know, I would think we could find a law that could protect kids from abusing it, but still, you know, let the kids who need it. And, and this, this is also like, it's not like he's going into the school nurse and smoking a joint. This is, is this no. an oil or a tablet? Or? It is. Yeah, okay. there's several right. forms. Um, he takes an oil that's in a little, okay. like a dark essential oil bottle, and it's a spray. And he just sprays one or two squirts underneath his tongue. And then he's good for a couple hours. Okay. Well, listen, we're going to take a break. And, Joy, you know, I, I, I applaud you for speaking out because I, I do think that it's at the end of the day, it's when people like yourself do speak out. I think that's why we got the law passed. I mean, obviously, there are accomplished lawmakers like Scott Dibble, who's managed to get mm-hmm. a, a number of very difficult bills through the legislature and in a period where it seems like nothing can get through the legislature. But uh, I, I do think at the end of the day, it's, it's people like you advocating for this. So thank you so much for sharing your story and good luck to you. And we are going to um, take a break and then we're going to talk to Scott Dibble. It is 651 in the Twin Cities. Uh, Esme Murphy, along with studio coordinator Jonathan Lowe, great to be back on a Saturday night, uh, hoping to catch up with Senator Scott Dibble, uh, who has authored an amendment to help people like Joy Moms and, and others like Joy Mitchell who have uh, loved ones or they themselves uh, have a prescription for medical marijuana but are unable to use it in all circumstances. And I think that, you know, one of the things that that Joy was describing so well is just the, quote, cancellation or the the, uh, common sense approach. And, and, you know, the bottom line, (laughs) common sense matters. And, you know, I think that people really think when it comes to something like this that this is – something that um, they're going to go into the nurse's office and be smoking a joint. And that's not the way it works. The stuff, and I've seen it, it looks like a medicine. It's either a pill form, it's an oil, and it works. I mean, here's somebody who's dealing with a a teenager with with such a difficult situation, yet he's high-functioning, and this thing is helping but he, ha- he can't go to school all day because it's illegal for him to take it. I just think that that's something, if you have a prescription here in Minnesota, I think that this is the kind of thing that needs to be taken care of. And I'm not sure um, – I know that the only – I know that it's very difficult trying to get anything through the legislature these days, but I would certainly hope that it sounds like this is something that – really should go through because it just seems to make common sense. Um, so we'll see. And again, we'll, we'll try and uh, reach uh, Scott Dibble there. But uh, anyway, we have much more ahead on this show tonight. Um, coming up, we're going to talk with uh, 
a representative of the Hazel and Betty Ford facility in Naples, Florida. They actually have facilities all over the country. I think people think of them as just being here or maybe California. But And I believe they've got one in Arizona as well. But about the differences between men and women and addiction. And I think it's something that a lot of women, especially who try and take on so many roles, uh, find themselves subject to. And I think it might be more difficult for them to you know, come forward. Uh, also, we're going to talk with the uh, executive director of the Minneapolis-St. Paul Film Festival. And this is getting bigger and bigger and bigger every year. I mean, this is a big deal, folks. And there are different ways you can see it. There are, are films making premieres that go on to major runs. And you can see it here. And there's a guide and there's kids' movies and international movies and all kinds of things. It's, it's really cool and certainly attracts an awful lot of people. And then we're going to chat with my friend David Schultz, who, you know, even though we haven't had the radio show here on Sundays or Saturdays, excuse me, um, you know, I, I feel like at least every few days I'm reaching out to him for suggestions on how to handle – you know, or how to report a certain political story, especially with all of the ups and downs with the Trump administration. There's so many nuances that we've had to go through and so many sort of ups and downs in this latest situation with Syria, President Trump being sort of very dismissive of the needs of Syrian refugees, yet when he sees these horrific images, and they have been horrific, of these children gassed by Syrian gas, He immediately acted, and it's almost as if there are two presidents, and and there have been actually CBS News had the story at the top of the hour where apparently there are two warring factions within the president's advisors. Uh, You've got Steve Bannon, who is sort of the rogue, uh, America first, go it ourselves, this is all about us. And then you've got, uh, on the other side, Jared Kushner, uh, his son-in-law, who's a lifelong Democrat, and it's interesting to see, you know, I'll, I'll get uh, Schultz's take, uh, as it, his blog is called, on what he thinks really is the way that, that this is all going to work out. Because I think the president, in his unpredictability, has been uh, sort of remarkable. And it does keep everybody at the edge, edge of their seats. It has been really good for ratings. <laughs> I think people are tuning in in record numbers to cable news, uh, to television programs to see what the heck is going on because you never know. I'm telling you right now, I'm I'm doing that more and more these days, but I'm ashamed that I'm doing that. I'm 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 well, I, I actually this, feel shame. Did I miss it? Like my, my friend Pat Kessler. I, told I just me. I just it just feels tawdry and sleazy, and I I know it's it's the president of the United States, but I, I, I'm I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed that I'm I'm sucked into this. Well, why? No. All right, we'll keep it here. We'll explore that. You're listening to News Radio 830. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.